everyone and welcome to another episode of Sustainably You podcast. My name is Vipa and today I have with me my co-creator Simi. Hi everyone. <laughs> and Philip. Howdy y'all. <laughs> <laughs> and we have two very interesting guests as well on board. Humaid. Hi. Assalamualaikum. And we have Jessica. Hello. And we should say that they are a couple. They are a couple, yes. yes. You beat me to the howdy all. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start with you two introducing yourselves, telling us a little bit about your background and the whole concept of farm to table. All right, farm to table, it, it's the perfect mixture of my husband and I, both our passions and, and uh, what, what we feel strongly about, which is everything to do with sustainability, agriculture, and also from my background as well, cooking, adding the culinary F&B background as well. And um, we are trying to create a network of uh, local farms and help them bring them towards either suppliers commercially or individually. There's also an educational part of the, the brand that we feel very strongly about, which is kind of helping share kind of seed to plate for you know, either uh, children or adults as well, and um, helping them realize the importance of uh, agriculture and also the importance of sustainable farming, which I think is, is the way forward, we think is the way forward. And then we also have, as I mentioned before, the F&B part of the brand, which is everything to do with menu creation and food and, and uh, all that fun stuff. But our, our launching pad was actually Expo. We were born at Expo Company brand, and uh, we had a restaurant there, and we, uh, we were pushing uh, local, uh, sourcing local. We invited actually very, um, we had a very interesting uh, conversation with a paleobotanist. We brought him over from, from Germany, actually, where he's... Uh, where he's doing his research and he was uh, it was not only about you know the the seeds and the journey to the plate but where these seeds actually originated from which was super interesting you know uh, where the wheat comes from originally and 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 how it traveled and it was uh, a wonderful project to be a part of so Hamid I uh, a little okay. bit about can you myself. tell us your whole name uh, <laughs> oh, yes. okay. how to say your whole name uh, my my name is Hamid but my full name is Hamid Said Khalifa Ahmed Abdullah Ahmed Ramayson. And I can go further back. It goes back uh, a couple of thousand years. Mine is just Jessica Quite. <laughs> so I come from the Ramayson family, which is part of the Benias tribe. Oh, I see. Yes. I was talking to Dr. Philip about this earlier. Our families have been here for a good thousand years on the Ablabi Island, at least, between Ablabi and Al Ain. And uh, you can trace back. Yes. The yeah, our lineage goes all the way back to Prophet uh, Abraham. Wow. Peace be upon him, yes. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's a long time. <laughs> yes. And you got records. I mean, yes. Somebody um, took the effort to, to, to do all that yes. tracing. They, it's because uh, in, in most tribal areas, they will always trace back. And uh, in our family, we have a few family representatives that are, you know, keeping the family, family tree updated. 
Very nice. Um, also, the government now is doing the same thing, which is very nice. I studied here, and then I went from here to Cambridge. I studied English there, and then to the United States to finish my uh, leadership bachelor's degree. At the same time, while growing up, we always would go from... The, our family taught us about the sea and the importance of the sea and the pearl trade and trade in general, and the importance of how our families during the summertime would go from from Abu Dhabi Island, they would migrate to Al Ain Oasis, uh, while the, the, the men who are at sea and going pearl diving, or even before that it was uh, trade in general, Al Ain Oasis was our farms. So people think that Arabs and Bedouins didn't farm, which is not true. Bedouins as a Bedouin is, a, is, is somebody who is uh, seasonal, they move from place to place. But some Arabs were stationed, so they had a place where they did the, you know, they had the summertime and they had the winter time. So this brings us to our passion of, of farming and uh, and the business mindset behind it. Behind our, farm to table. Behind farm sure to table. Said that. <laughs> it's yes, behind, table. Yeah, behind farm to table. Because when we would sit at the farm and we had, you know, we have very, we always try to, if not the best quality it's somewhere up there. I would say it's probably the best quality. <laughs> you, you, you could see how we, we, we uh, treat our animals and even treat our, our crops. Because even plants, they have uh, feelings and they need, they need special uh, nutrients. When I say feelings, they need to have good nutrients. And as they say, you are what you eat. <laughs> so if you're eating right and you're feeding your, your animals and your plants the right nutrients, you are healthy in general. So that's a little bit about myself. So you are the farm and she's the table. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. we, we are the farm to table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, what a concept that farmers cook and chefs farm. Uh, how, how did you guys? How did you guys come together? Well, through food. Yes. Okay. <laughs> through, through food, we connected through food, and I think the rest is history. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful history, of course, in the making. Yes. <laughs> so you touched a little bit upon the heritage of your family, the history of farming. So it is UAE is not a country that is known for agriculture but obviously like you said it's been happening here for such a long time can you like because you have because you have such a history in this uh, industry can you tell us a little bit about what it was like before all right so i'll tell you a little bit of history which was passed down from my grandparents my grandfather is actually still alive and when they would do trade they would go from here let's say from here to basra iraq Wow, that's a long way. And then they would barter with dates for, or even gold or pearls for other uh, other commodities. Some of the commodities they brought back were date palms. And this is not my grandfather, this is his grandfather, Abdullah bin Hamid. Some of the date palms he brought back, he planted in the Al Ain Oasis farm, which we have, uh, which is still in our family to date. And the reason being is also you want quality. So even back then, people thought about that. They thought about selective selecting the best kind of dates and having those dates here instead of only having them in Basra they had them here as well and the interesting about that is we were told that some of those date palms were wiped out when the, during 2003 2001 to 2003 if you're familiar with that the conflict the conflict yes some of the palms some of these huge farms were just burnt to the ground and so yeah Horrible. Uh, some of the palms we have in our farm. And the trips from Abu Dhabi to Al Ain were by camel. And they would take uh, from three days to a week. 
my father actually was born on the way. He was born in the desert. Wow. Alpha, you need to give context to the listeners because a lot of them are probably not from UAE. So uh, how, what's the distance today in, in the car from Abu Dhabi okay. to Alain? From, from car to, uh, to, from Abu Dhabi to Alain is, is a good one hour and a half. That's it. One hour to two hours. That's it. 160 that's it. kilometers an hour. Yes, though. that's at 160 <laughs> kilometers an hour. Because okay. the speed Not limit anymore. is the speed limit is 160, which is 100 miles per hour. So, which is great. And and it's shortcuts. Uh, actually, the interesting thing is the Abu Dhabi Line Road was built on the old path, which was through, by camel. And there's one huge dune when you're going from a blood to land. If you notice, there's a beautiful dune that you actually go between. There'll be a, d- a dune on your right and a dune on your left. This dune was called Hez El Bosch, which means this is where the, t- the, ca- the camels would get tired because it was mm. such a huge dune. And now they've just cut through that dune to make the road. But it's oh, such I a beautiful wow. view. Sometimes we go up on the dune and we'll just sit and watch the stars and listen to the cars go by. Especially the, the, the sand in Alain is, is such a beautiful. Is. It's like a terracotta, yes. like burnt orange. It's yes. such a beautiful color. It's a beautiful sand. Mm. Yes, it is. And I'll tell you another story. So uh, my grandfather, Khalifa, after you know, things were, cars were available, the Bedfords back then were available, and the Dodge trucks and uh, the, the big trucks, of course. Grandfather, he uh, purchased a plot, a big farm, which is still there today, between Abu Dhabi and Al Ain, which was called Suhan. And he made a house there, we call it, it's like a house, a guest house for anyone, it's for the family and for anybody who's passing by, they can pass by and they can sleep and they can have food and it's, it was open like for everyone. House. Like a rest house. Hmm. And the meaning of rest house. Or what you would, in the, the kind of historical context of the, the word, are also caravanserais. When you mm-hmm. think of that as well, like on the, on the silk routes and, mm-hmm. and all those different routes you have different places where you know people can get together and rest and yes so the meaning of swayhan in arabic is i'm not sure of the meaning right now mm-hmm. i mean I, I remember it as a child but it's an old name so it has so something to do with resting in in the desert no i'm not no. sure okay. i can't but i know that the, around the area there are different things so for and and a larmethi family larmethi family breaks into three so you have people like us that are both desert and merchants. So they're Bedouins. Well, I won't say Bedouins. They are farmers and merchants, sea merchants. So they go by sea in the pearl trade and fishing. Then you have another faction of the family which are only, they went from that lifestyle to only desert lifestyle. Bedouin, purely Bedouin. Mm. But also farm. They also farm their farms and Samha. And their family, and that family's, re, uh, that family's area was, was called Abu Salaf. So when you're going to Suhan, on your left, there's a, you'll see a sign that says Abu Salaf. This was all the Ramethi family of the desert. That was their area. And Abu Salaf, the meaning means father of the, of the, of the rock, something hard. Hmm. And uh, so that come, when it comes to meanings. And then you had the third Ramethi category are those that stayed in islands. They only stayed, they went from going from between Abu Dhabi to Alain, and they just decided, okay, you know what, we'll sit in the islands and we'll stay in the islands. Sadiat Island. Wow. Um, Are they the party people in the family? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're actually no, okay. they're, they're, they're the most, I would say, mellow because they stayed behind and yeah. they just stayed and inhabited those islands. So you have Ras Gharab Island, which is called Darreem. Then you oh, have yes. uh, Sadiat Island. You have uh, what was, uh, what is still there now, Jubail Island. Yes, Jubail Island. Island. So all of these islands, all, and going all the way to, uh, to the, uh, um, 
we call it Garbia. So towards Ruiz, any little yes. islands you'll find, you'll yes. find the, the, you'll find Rometi still there. Oh, Rometi yeah. and Meheris and, and some Meherbi uh, family. Those are the oh. ones that stayed there, and they would stay there in the islands, and they would live, and they would plant their trees, and they have their water. Yeah, those are great places for camping. I love that part of Abu Dhabi. They are. Even today, you can, I mean, uh, camp responsibly. You can take the uh, ferry and go to Ras Kharab Island, which is called the Rimna, and you can camp there on the island. It's a beautiful yeah. place to go, and the water is beautiful and turquoise. Oh, yeah. I will take that name later. Yes, of course. I'll show you the location as well and instructions. And you, you, you mentioned El Meheri family as well. So. All right. The, the Minister for Climate Change and Food Security, yes, um, uh, Minister Miriam Al Meheri. So, we're all one tribe. All, wow. Okay. So our tribe is is called the Benias tribe. Yes. Not the location. The location is named after the tribe, but the Benias tribe has families in it. We call it Ashair. So, and they report back to the to the head of the whole tribe, which is the our Sheikh Khalifa. Sheikh Khalifa is the head of all of the Benias tribe. Also, he is the president of the United Arab Emirates. But on a tribal perspective, he's the head of the, of the tribe as well. And then in each family, you have a head of a family. My father's uncle, he's the head of the Romethi family, hmm. Khadim. And the Al-Mahiri family also have a sheikh of their family. So each family has one. So they're different uh, smaller families um, and within the tribe. And the beautiful thing about the, the, the tribal life that many people don't know, there's a difference between a sheikhdom and a kingdom and, and other kinds of rules. The sheikh long ago doesn't necessarily have all the money, but the sheikh was the wisest and the most, how do you say, just person. And that person would be elected to be the sheikh. And the, all the, 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 the tradesmen, they would share their wealth with that sheikh, and that sheikh would evenly distribute it and evenly distribute the land to everybody in it. Not just the people from the land, but even some people who are passing by or wanted to stay in that land. That's such a great information because today people kind of connect sheikh equals to money someone yes. who's and which is so it's so great for people to understand that's not the case yeah. um, at least in the region yes uh, I, I remember when, when i used to study abroad there was a saying from the people by the people for the people mm -hmm. a sheikhdom is exactly that the sheikh mm. is from the people by the people for the people and when i say people i mean everybody in You're all here and you can feel the fruits of the UAE and how there's that sharing. Mm -hmm. And, I, and I, I really like it how I find it very noteworthy that everybody wears the same kind of kandura. dressing. Yes. Yeah, the kandura. And so there's an Emirati style of kandura and, and everybody wears the same from Sheikh Khalifa on to everybody else, right? It's a thing of uh, practicality and unity. Mm -hmm. And our kandura is actually something that's been around for also thousands of years as mm -hmm. far as as far as the basic of it if you go into any church or synagogue and there's uh, illustrations you'll see that they're wearing a kandora in mm -hmm. fact they even will be wearing the black agal on the head and the ghatra and this is things that have been we're talking about practicality here right they lived in a hot in, in the desert and they they wore it back then and today we still wear it the same yeah. very similar clothes but there's a distinct Emirati style, there is like, very, with a triangle on the chest. Yeah, that's a, there's so we call it a tarbush. It's like a tassel that comes down. Right. In Oman, it's a little bit shorter, and Abu Dhabi used to be short, but right. to differentiate, they made it a little bit longer. And you don't need to have it. I can take it off, which I did. You can right. see it's already taken off. And oh, okay. So, the, so that's I, an additional fitting. It's just an additional. Yeah. Like a tassel. I, I was talking about the triangular cut. You yeah, can those see are designs. That. So that's yeah. what uh, we like. In yeah, this it's area. an Emirati yeah, uh, symbol. 
we call it Kandora Arbia. You'll find the same the same design. The the more traditional people in Oman and the more traditional people in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and and uh, and Iraq and Syria and Kuwait, they will still also wear the similar Kandora. Hmm. We call it Kandora, and it's just because it's practical, and it's baggy. Because you know people mm-hmm. think that oh only women need to wear baggy clothes. No, actually, <laughs> our religion teaches us and our culture teaches us to wear baggy clothes as well because it's roomy clothes first of all it's uh, more modest secondly it's also it's cooler believe it or not you can walk out and i'll be less hot than when i'm wearing uh jeans or a top of course i'm not going to compare that compare that to shorts that's a different story (laughs) (laughs) coming back to you were differentiating and the kind of how the tribes are taken care of so you spoke about shakedown and then what's the other two? Okay, so a, a king in general is, is absolute rule. And the presidency is somebody who's elected. The the, dif- the major difference between between the those is that, as I was saying, a sheikh, back in the day, they would su- the people would support the sheikh. The sheikh didn't need to be the wealthiest person. But the sheikh was the, the most just, most wise. And they took, of, took care of everyone in the land. And that's why when you see in, in, in the UAE, when the, the wealth came in and, and the sheikhs had that wealth, they took care of everybody in the land. Mm. They took yeah. care of not only everybody in this land, but even overseas. Yeah. And we yeah. still see that being practiced today. And that is due to them seeing the hard life as well. Our, um, in Al-Ain, our family house was wall by wall next to Sheikh Zaid. Wow. So my grandfather's house and, and Sheikh Zaid's house, well, there, there was a very little wall between them. I actually remember the house before it was demolished. Uh, and uh, just to give context here, he is a farmer and Sheikh Zayed is the founder of UAE. Of the United Arab Emirates, <laughs> yes. So uh, there's, there's that close reality check, I would say. Sheikh Zayed came from very humble uh, backgrounds and uh, all of our families in general did. Some of them, there were ups and downs. Uh, if, if you're familiar with the pearl trade, at one time there was a boom in the, the pearl business. And then suddenly with the the, um, the seeded pearls, we lost that. So th- there were very few merchants that were able to, to make it by after that. My family actually went from pearls. from Before that, it was gold and bartering to mm-hmm. pearls. And then when the pearl trade collapsed, they went to other commodities like wood. And when I say wood, I mean... Uh, they would go by boat, and they had my my grandfather Khalifa. He inherited the most dows, so the most boats in in Abu Dhabi, and they would go out and they would look for the wood, dry wood, to sell. So that's how much they were impacted. So now, what you're trying to do, obviously, in old days, where you were just talking about pearl, going out diving in the sea to collect pearls, and that was a sustainable way of, way of living. You're not farming it; you go to nature, pick yes. what you can, and you sell. Also, with regards to farming. So, coming back to the context of the of the podcast, what's your farming about? How is it sustainable? We would like to hear all, all right. about how it was yeah. and how it but is now. This literally is a mom and pop. Little, yeah, can I? This is a mom and pop farm, <laughs> isn't it? So we have pop, uh, <laughs> Mr. Romatian. Uh, <laughs> Mom, Jessica. <laughs> Jessica what, what is your full name, by the way? Uh, Jessica Quite. But I mean, the, okay. there's a, there's a whole a huge family that's that's part of the, yes, the, the support and taking care of the farm. And, and yeah. but just I wanted to get back to the this as you mentioned sustainability. 
and also the, the, the history of, of this beautiful country. While we were at Expo, we, we wanted to um, kind of share a bit of the heritage as well. And we had a few uh, different chef's tables. And one of the chef's tables was an Arabic themed. So I, I chose uh, dishes from different Arabic countries that were traditional. And the one that I chose from here, which is a very traditional, kind of less well-known dish. It's a dish that has been around for for, for, <laughs> for as long as we, we know. Yeah, which is called uh, jashid. So it's from shark. Whoa. And yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's a shark dish. And I remember I got a little bit of uh, pushback. Yeah, pushback from a few of the team members and they said, you know, I'm not sure about shark, you know, putting that on the on the menu. It's not necessarily, uh, you know, globally, it's not seen as, as a sustainable fish. And, and for me, I said, no, no, it's very important to share, A, what, how the UAE treats this fish. Mm-hmm. Because fishing in the UAE has mostly, majority been sustainable. You know, they go and fish on the dows. It's mm-hmm. not big trawlers. It's not big. Right. They ban fishing on different breeds when they have the breeding season. So when, a, when a, the shark has its breeding season, specific species, you're not allowed to fish that, that species, which they have for, for, for uh, I think, almost all species of, of fish here in the region. And it's also, you know, it's, it's local. They're not going hmm. out into the Asian seas and uh, fishing the shark there. It's, it's what's locally caught, hmm. sustainably caught. And it's also, they use the whole shark. They don't just use a small part and throw the rest out. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are some aspects of, you know, traditional sustainable yeah. systems that have been in place for a very long time. And I thought were very important to kind of share that, yeah. you know, it, we understand that globally certain things are not seen as sustainable. But when you see them on a local scale, on yes. a smaller scale, there are sustainable systems and ways of doing it also in a sense of, of agriculture there you know certain i know there's a huge backlash on on cows nowadays mm-hmm. that cows are not sustainable and that they're not the way forward and, and we believe that there there is on smaller local scales mm-hmm. sustainable farming and sustainable agriculture and ways that you can approach these different facets and and they can be fully sustainable into the future so I, just I, I really like that uh, the zero waste concept that you brought in about yes. the, the shark. Yes. And that's one of the concepts, you know, that's part of our ethos that we're trying to teach through our podcast. So thank you for bringing that up. Yes, yeah, z- zero waste is Secondly, is no, yeah. I think the only sustainable way to live is live within whatever environment you're living in, what's available to you locally um, and how you manage to use that completely mm. and in, in, in line with nature. To respect the, the environment and respect the, mm-hmm. the, the also to respect the systems all, already in place, uh, to take a look at those and, and see what's working. And, and going back and to tra- traditions, going back mm-hmm. to, to our roots, that, that's, and our roots just tells you exactly how to live with nature. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So I, I'm really fascinated by this mom and pop outfit. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite fascinating. I mean, uh, we, I haven't it's, seen it's, any it's, yeah, it's a, know, it's a mom and pop farm family. plus restaurant and expo e- eventing and so on. So you have a child. Yes. Uh, <laughs> do you? Would you like to share? 
Uh, well, Some age and name, maybe? No. Okay. <laughs> I think that's way too personal. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, I we, don't well, we could say uh, uh, the Saleh, we, uh, our son's name, Saleh, which means pious. Oh, and uh, it's the name nice. of one of the uh, the prophets, the prophets mentioned in the Holy mm. Quran, as well as in the Old Testament, uh, mm. Sheila, whose name Sheila. Okay, and uh, we chose to name our child uh, Saleh. We love the Madan Saleh, which is where Al Ula is, and the oh, story. The, so the story behind Prophet Saleh, he was he was very patient, and the people that he was sent to became very arrogant. And then they said they were making fun of the prophet. They said, "If you if you are a real prophet of the Almighty, show us a sign. Why don't you make out of that mountain a camel come out, a she camel, and not only just a she camel. We want that she camel to be pregnant, <laughs> and in the last stage of pregnancy." And then the prophet thought, "You know, that's are you sure that's what you want?" They're like, "Okay, yeah, that's what we want." He said, "Okay." So he raised his hands and he made the the, the prayer, and the camel, sure enough, came the 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 mountain split, and this camel came out. But the start, then the catch was, now that you've asked for this, your wells, when the camel, the she camel and her baby drink from that well, you're not allowed to drink. You have to wait. You can drink its its milk, no problem. But you know, when that whenever she, the mother and her baby are drinking, you have to wait a whole day, as a trial, of patience. Long story short, so that was one of the reasons we chose the name Saleh because it's piety, and mm. uh, people we believe that. Piety, you know, which is meaning we are just. To be someone who's pious is also someone who's just and calm and patient. And those are all attributes that we would love mm. our child to, to learn. So how do you manage with a child and, you know, you're, you're a chef and you're a farmer, you're an entrepreneur, both of you. And how do you juggle all this? We'll tell you a little story, cute story about, yeah. Uh, so Jessica was on site, even I think a good week before Expo opened yeah. and uh, smuggling in the baby here and there, where it was, uh, where it was, was possible. Out yeah. And uh, we always told them, you know, if they had processed Saleh's as a security pass, he would have been the youngest expo staff yeah. <laughs> ever because he was we there he learned to, to walk there he learned to talk at expo well say a few words let's just say yeah. and he learned to run and uh, wow he, now he, he he misses those robots yes. the orange yes. robots oh, yeah. yeah everybody misses the expo <laughs> so uh, children are a blessing yes and it's uh, us as as parents to be up for that that challenge of life and try and, and guide our children not control but guide and I think also what we're doing and, and what we're involved in is they are beautiful aspects for a child to learn. I think it's, yes. you know, it's something yes. to be around. It's, uh, you know, for agriculture, for farming. I think there have been lots of studies that children that are have access to farms, their immune systems are stronger, um, mm -hmm. you know, especially in this day and age of Corona and everybody is uh, scared of germs. Uh, mm -hmm. For me, I'm, I'm a very big advocate of dirt is, yes. is very, very beneficial for us. And, dirt and meaning I think, sand, uh, of course. Well, yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> Soil. Uh, and, uh, soil, soil, and yeah, getting your hands dirty in the soil. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. 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 I think, so, I think it's very important for. It's part of growing up, learning oh, yeah. to play with <laughs> the sand. And I used to make mud, mud, mud castles and mud. Uh <laughs> yeah, it is. It is true that you know because we now live in like concrete 
cities you yes. know we're not in touch with nature anymore and and that has given rise to a lot of autoimmune diseases yes and what i have celiac disease is also an autoimmune diseases and i have to say as a kid i was quite allergic to dirt i, I was a clean dirt. freak mm. you know <laughs> so i don't know if that played a role but I, I, it I is think, true i think everything uh, i think the lifestyles that we have nowadays There, there's a few different points that you talked about that the disconnection, I think, for children especially, but also in adults nowadays as well, the disconnection of nature in, in our lives, because we do a lot of, majority of us live in kind of concrete jungles, as, as you want to put it. And we don't have that connection of where our food is coming exactly. from. Where, yes. um, what, thing, what is the quality of the food? What yes. is put into yeah. it? Yes. Um, I was on a panel, actually, a very, very interesting panel at, uh, at Expo uh, called The World Majlis. And we talked about zero waste, we talked about sustainability, and we talked about the true cost of fruit and vegetables. And you look at the cost of an organic fruit and vegetable that's you know grown here, and you can kind of trace everything that's happened to it. Or something that's been imported that you have, you know, you don't have the cost of the emissions of shipping you don't have the cost of the the humans the humans right cost because you don't know how the the social aspect mm -hmm. of that farm uh, yep. you know what goes on uh, you also don't know exactly how they treat the fruits and vegetables and exactly. livestock and and yeah there's there's just so much that i think in this day and age all the different kind of autoimmune disorders that are present i do believe that it is a part of the over-refined, yeah. over-treated, over over-sanitized. Mm -hmm. That if we, as, as we talked a lot about going back to kind of nature and going back to tradition, I think if we have a bit more of that in our lives, it's only beneficial. Yeah. Um, if I were a, a marketing spy and I wanted to get this <laughs> information, how do you show that you care for your food from the, the source and the people that produce a food and you can taste the difference you can smell it you, you can, can taste, taste it. it you can see the animals you can see the plant the difference in the quality and the transparency of you know having mm -hmm. come to But, the farm and, and see it for yeah. yourself okay and so, so you invite your customers to come to sweet hunt uh, yeah, yes, we, we have invited quite a quite okay. a few <laughs> people to <laughs> any, anybody that we've done collaborations with or yeah. people that that are uh, have shown interest we as i say seeing as believing Right, that some things obviously we can't see, but we which we believe in, but we can feel it. But you can taste it. You, you can, can taste it. Smell it. it. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. You can see the signs, and when it comes to farming, you can have a gimmick of a farm. It looks beautiful. It looks eco-friendly, but the reality behind it all, it might not be what it looks like. So, for example, we we have on on one of our farms, we have greenhouses. We have uh, I can't remember how many there were. Quite a few, and They were nice. And when we first started them, the idea was to go into the market. And uh, as a family, we have rights to one of the uh, very well-known uh, supermarkets here because it's fa it, it, our family owns shares in it, um, if you're familiar with Spinney's. Oh, yeah. And oh. Uh, when we first started our cucumbers, our organic cucumbers, we wanted to, to sell it through, through Spinney's. But in a, obviously, it has to go through a process, even though our family own majority share. You can't just bully away into something. And we saw that it was such a difficult market to get into, even though we are part of that market. And uh, 
it was no longer sustainable. You have the running cost of those greenhouses. Mm-hmm. If one of if, if if electric outage happens and you don't have backup right. generators, everything's right. gone. All right. of your your produce is gone. And uh, so one of the people who we were presenting to after we finished, they came and they said, you know, listen, we'll buy all of your produce, and we'll buy it for the first year. We're like, okay, fine. And of course, we were undercut. But it paid off for the uh, the greenhouses. As I said in the beginning, we're not government funded. We're privately funded our our farms. So uh, the next year they said, you know what? Why don't we rent your greenhouses from you? We're like, fine, you can rent them. But these are our rules. So, you know, as long as it stays clean and organic and stuff like that. We went into net housing farming. So I feel the, the white mesh nets. And obviously that's seasonal. You can plant as long mm. as it's cool all the way until now. Mm. And in those greenhouses, or in those net houses, we've we've done wonders. I'll just say mm-hmm. we've had exotic kinds of tomatoes and uh, tomato. What what else did we have? Well, in we, Peppers I, and I tomatoes and there's so part many. Of, part part of the farm, we we definitely try and experiment with mm-hmm. what can be grown here. Mm-hmm. And I know that I talked a little bit about the you know sourcing the date seeds from. Yes. We also even nowadays going into the future, we grow wheat on the farm. Yes. And Whoa! The, really? The, yes, and it. it grows very well in and it's net actually, housing no uh, that's just uh, out in the open but we actually so the, the what family. we've done with that farm with the, the uh, i'll just uh, yeah. explain that so our farms and side by side so we have our farms we have our uncle's farm and then we have another distant uncle's farm and when he saw that what we're doing is mm-hmm. practical what what he was uh, growing in his farm was only alfalfa for his camels mm. Mm. and then he saw he's like you know what here's my farm I don't really need it that much. I want to see what you can do with it. So my cousin Muhammad, Muhammad bin Ali and Saeed bin Ahmed, they uh, said, okay, let's see what we can do on this farm. And they they traveled to a country, an Arabian country that has similar temperatures to Suihan, and they brought back wheat. Mm. It's not like wheat wasn't grown here a long time ago. There was right. wheat. But people, people forget these things. When they become too comfortable, they forget about all that was done in the past so we started growing the wheat there and it is good stuff <laughs> so do you have this in the supermarket locally grown wheat no what we do so uh, going back so to what i was saying it we sell it all through our uh, our social media so okay oh, wow because okay. getting into that market was so yeah. difficult and so many uh, so much red tape and we're like you know what so okay we'll be getting into the right and good stuff maybe we just take a step back and then we'll come to this so first thing with regards to farming um, what is sustainable farming one and um, what kind of crops do you grow in your farm or is it just crops or is it animals what's sustainable farming you want to go well, I think part of being sustainable farming is, is as we said, you know, zero waste. And, and that also, it's not only about the food from the farm going into the supermarkets and going, you know, uh, after you've cooked it, that it, it's it's also before and it's mm-hmm. also in the farming. And on the farm, the farm in Suihan, the, the organic farm, it's, that's what the, what, yeah, the, what name, the name is. Yeah, the name is called The so Organic. It's, <laughs> the it's organic truly farm. organic. It, not, yes, it it's is. It's not just a gimmick. It's or not no, just truly. a gimmick. It is, they reuse and they make sure that everything goes back into the soil to make sure that the nutrients are there. What is on the farm, uh, you know, it's a range from livestock. Poultry, livestock, poultry everything. Livestock. Good point you said, uh, asking about organic. So... Organic in every country 
has a different meaning, yeah. has a different term, and you can even buy the labels. In fact, yeah. I remember when we first started this journey, I was speaking to a businessman, and he's like, I was explaining to him organic and free range and stuff like that. And he said to me, you know what? I have this huge farm overseas. I'm going to title it <laughs> free range organic uh, chicken, <laughs> and I'm just going to set it like that. And I was like, no, that, that's not what it means. <laughs> he said, yeah, but that's perception. And I'll get into this a little bit later on. So one, we say organic. What is organic? Organic means natural. And I even, so I, I've studied leadership and I give the example of an organic organization versus a mechanical organization. An organic organization is where everybody works together to get the end result done. Mm-hmm. Mechanical organization does their job and says, okay, I'm sorry, that's my job. And then somebody else asks them, hey, can you help me? I still haven't finished my job and you have. They're like, no, no, sorry, I've done my part. That's it. It doesn't go forward unless somebody shifts the gear. When it's organic, everything makes it want to go forward. And so now farm, when it comes to, we've had our ups and downs. Sometimes we've lost 2,500 chickens, hmm. even more. And then you just have to start again and see how, what, when you do root cause analysis, what was the cause? Mm-hmm. Then, and we've learned that if you spread them out throughout the farm, it's healthy for the farm, it's healthy for the chickens. We had free range chickens, but in one area. So if one chicken got sick, they all got sick. Yes. We spread them out. Yeah. And uh, we have the lots chickens, of stories. The chickens that are hanging out uh, with, uh, with the cows are, I would say, the happiest. Yes. <laughs> There's see. a very uh, symbiotic relationship yeah. between the cows yeah. and the chickens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're the, it's, yeah. Then we have, they, yes, they have a good the time together. <laughs> and then so when it comes to pesticides, you yes. say, you're, oh, you can say I'm organic, but you have to buy this organic pesticide from so-and-so country. And yeah. Okay, fine, that works in their country. We have herbal pesticides that we use. We have something called khile. Khile is, um, so you have myrrh and you have khile, and they come from tree, wow. tree sap that's in the region. And you mix that with water, it's super potent, <laughs> and that gets rid of all bugs. But you can and khila and you can consume it if you had a bad stomach bug. Just a little bit of it, you just swallow it. Uh, hopefully, with a date, you mash it up in a date because that stuff's strong. <laughs> and within a day, whatever stomach bug you had is gone. It's that strong, and so we use these natural uh, remedies. There's also neem. Local. Local. Neem, I wouldn't say is as local, but we yeah. get it from our neighbors, India, and uh, right. so it works. <laughs> Fascinating. Gila, I've I've never heard about this. Yeah, I was looking for the, our son was a little ill. I was looking for a little bit to give to him. Got the stomach bug. Is is it available in stores? Yeah. Uh, Uh, The smaller... Uh, we call it I th- in I Arabic, think which call a herbal store. Yes, herbal store. Yes, yes. where you can get like yes. the frankincense and like in the souks, uh, where they sell the yes. the souvenirs and so yes, on. Yes, you can also in downtown any, 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 Abu downtown mm-hmm. Dubai. You can find yeah. these. Uh, yeah, you'll find them. Uh, any herbal medicine store, you'll find the. Khil. This is fascinating, um, but also towards the livestock as well. It's it's. Um, oh yes, and we the, feed that to them too. Very uh, organic approach to medication as well. Mm-hmm, we don't mm-hmm. we don't necessarily want to give antibiotics or traditional Western yes, medication, exactly. Which which goes into the animal and goes into us and yes. affects us short term and long term yes. down the line. But um, we like to give more apple cider vinegar to, mm-hmm. to all mm-hmm. the livestock and the chickens and and everything alive that's on the farm. Apple cider vinegar, honey, black seed. Uh, you know everything we it's it's ground up and it's given to the animals to eat 
and you know and they love it and, and they they, they <laughs> so love it and it's your chicken benefit, eat better than most people oh yeah, right. yeah. And yes. they, uh, the honey and apple seeds and and all these beneficial things that you know mm. naturally take care of the body yeah. garlic, um, onions, garlic onions black wow. seeds red seeds chia seeds yeah uh, so honey apple cider so all of that they they have a superfood diet wow. <laughs> that's awesome yeah you know this healer it, it sounds like heal in english it yeah. does sound like it's a great thing for marketing uh, are you healer, guys been marketing or what super healer the super healer <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know what's you know the, there's 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 a it's called a red beetle that that really affects date palms all over the world uh-huh. it, you, if when it, when this red beetle, beetle hits the date palm and burrs into it it eats the palm tree from inside and then usually see the top of the palm tree drop the cure to that is actually getting the khila and mixing it with water and just feeding that date palm the the, the khila infused water and those bugs cannot stand it's it's got a very potent smell but it's all fully natural it's like a mix of a hundred garlic and durian all <laughs> durian mixed and into onion. one wow <laughs> and those the bugs they can't take it they just leave they leave the trees so how do we get this traditional knowledge from a mom and pop farm back to cambridge and uh well, that's, where that, that's what How we're trying we to work this? on right now <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. what we're trying to that's all in we're, in in process yeah it's yeah. in process so it's Tell we're me. organically trying to spread the word <laughs> just go on with the story of the farm oh. and so what else do you have in your farm okay. but but i i want to put viba on the spot i always do i okay. kind of embarrass her but so she mentioned celiac disease and so that's allergy to wheat right yes. and yes so you are growing wheat organically on your farm is there anything we can do for Viba I so she can enjoy it? I, pers- I personally believe that all these intolerances, lactose intolerance, uh, gluten intolerance, all of these different types of intolerances are because our body is a lot of what we eat nowadays are overprocessed and over refined. And our bodies do not recognize that properly as a food or a nutrient source. Obviously, I think there's there is a bit of a a detox stage that it needs to be out of the body. And I think if you slowly reintroduce um, Mm. proper wheat, proper gluten, proper lactose in its, you know, more natural forms, then I do believe that a lot of these intolerances can be reversed. That's my personal. What do you think, Vipa? It is true that, and I did a lot of research on this myself, it's true that the way the wheat is farmed now and grown is very different. Before, the stock of the wheat, it was only like the top 10% which had wheat growing on it. And now they've kind of... Modified it. Did, they've modified it. and Genetically. They, Genetically modified it. It's more it's, potent. Mm. It has more of the protein of the wheat. And also the way we cook the food, the mm. way we make our breads nowadays. Mm. Well, in the olden days, like bleached and mm-hmm. basically everything's that, taken out of it. And then they add nutrients back. Add yeah. nutrients <laughs> back. And then uh, in the olden days, a bread was made. It was fermented for mm-hmm. a day, two days. All the yeast was eaten by the bacteria. And um, that was good for you. Mm. And now we have everything, you know, fast, yeah. fast food. And it's, it's all fastened. Yeah. So... All of that has kind of led to and where we are. I've heard that bromine is added into uh, oh, wow. processed wheat. Mm. I've yeah. seen that a lot. Yeah. You, yeah. You've seen yeah. that. So there is yeah. nothing that they can do as of now. All I can do is refrain 
from eating wheat. But we gotta do something. Well, for what her. we do I, is I hope we can try that. There are there are a like lot not, of alternatives to wheat. Yeah. I mean, I was not. I had no idea. All I ate my whole life was wheat. But there are fifty different flowers mm. out there. Corn which are amazing. Ones, they yes. are so healthy. There's yeah. buckwheat, there's amaranth, all of this quinoa, traditional and flowers. There's a lot yeah. of traditional seeds and traditional, and, and that's also what they're doing as well. I had the pleasure of, of visiting recently the Biosaline Agricultural mm-hmm. um, Center. And a lot of what they're trying to grow, which can grow in kind of briny, salty water, and even, even I've believe some of the some of the plants that they're growing they literally just use seawater you can grow so many different seeds quinoa uh, you can also grow which is what we're trying to do at our farm as well because we have brine water as well yes so redirect it to uh, towards some of these uh, plants yeah to first of all when the plant takes this brine it lets out clean water people don't know yes they let out clean water and they also they breathe into the atmosphere so instead of the water just going back into the ground then you have a salt crust which gets blown away onto other things you feed it to the plants that can take it and you get a a crop that is Hmm. healthy Hmm. Uh, i'll tell you a little story about uh, two professors Oh. Yes, I work. Uh, uh, I work yes. for. Uh, uh, I used to be one. <laughs> <laughs> I work for Bolivia National Oil Company, and uh, one of our professors there that used to be at the uh, the Technical Institute, I bumped into him in the uh, at the supermarket, and I saw him drinking, uh, buying camel milk, and I said to him, off the shelf camel milk. I said to him, Professor, I'm surprised to see you buying camel milk. He said, yeah, I said, because I said usually people don't like the taste of camel milk. Usually, if it's off the shelf, it's usually saltier than normal milk. He said, yes, but I used to be lactose intolerant. And because and you of all people should know this, you you know, you people of the land know that camel camels have are very healthy and uh, it, it helps with the immune system. So he, he used to have uh, lactose intolerance. He said since he started drinking camel milk, his lactose intolerance went away. So yes. and that got me thinking. I, I at one point in 2012, I got quite sick. And I, uh, I started developing... Uh, skin allergies and breathing problems and i couldn't understand what it was and uh, that was in 2012 so for in 2014 when i was talking to the professor i was like i was told you know what i have this this i said yeah i he said he had eczema and he had um, lactose intolerance and inflammation in general so i started drinking camel milk on a daily and uh, amazingly because <laughs> the camel milk has less processing than normal milk and it doesn't have lactose my allergies started going away and I was like, this is insane. This is amazing. And then I had a visit from Dr. Joshua Berka from the States. And the first thing he asked me was like, hey, Ahmed, I would love to have camel milk for myself and my fiance. I said, how come? He said, because camel milk, I've been told that when you drink camel milk, it'll make your stomach upset. I was like, yeah, that's why usually people don't like to drink camel milk. He said, yes, but when it makes your stomach upset, that means it's detoxing your body hmm. and it'll flush your system. For uh, for a, a day, you'll get a, a runny stomach, maybe. Uh, and if your system has a lot of and you know toxins in it, it'll take longer. But he said, and so I took him to the farm and I showed him the animals and we took him. We made this really nice uh, uh, wolf tent on top of the dune and and uh, for him and his uh, fiance and they drank camel milk and they're like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> so and while he was here, we would uh, go back and forth. He would either get milk from us or from someone else's farm or from the supermarket, which is a nice thing. We have uh, two well-known brands here that you can get good camel milk from. Uh, one is Camelicious, which is mm-hmm. uh, Dubai-based, 
uh, and they're more free free uh, ranged camels and then you have Alain camel milk which is more pellet fed uh, camels so you can taste the difference free range camels that means they'll be eating from the uh, the trees in the desert mm. the few trees that in the desert and the bushes so they get more immunity to the dust that's there mm. and then oh, the, the, yes and then the camel fed ones the, the, uh, the pellet fed, fed camels they um not camel fed. You don't want camel fed. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, that's <laughs> wrong. <laughs> okay. That's just wrong. Uh-huh. No, but the, the pellet fed camels, you can tell the difference. They're saltier milk. But either I way, see. they're both healthy. I see. So this is talking about the, immu- the immune system. And I know for a fact that whenever I feel like, for example, recently I had to take the uh, vaccines and my body's just had, um, I had a very bad rea- reaction to it. I started getting uh, hives and stuff like that. And I was like, you know what? I've been lacking on my camel milk. Mm. <laughs> camel milk. So I started drinking camel milk and I feel better. Wow. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, when, when I, I could just scratch my skin and it would welt. And now it's fine. Totally fine. It's awesome. This is so, really well, nice. What, one thing that I also learned from my husband as well is is about the the honey, yes, um, and how that helps you with allergies and and your immune system when you have bad hay fever. Mm-hmm. And usually hay fever is either worse in different countries or, or you know better. And I know a lot of people sometimes when they come here they can have. Mm. Uh, they can tend to get different allergies to uh, either dust or, or um, mm-hmm. pollen. And my husband uh, mentioned that if you have the honey that's local from, mm-hmm. from that region, it helps your body. And how I was discussing uh, before is, is when your body either recognizes or, uh, you know, mm. doesn't yeah. recognize something, you know, it'll either fight it or it'll welcome it in. I don't know. The honey actually helps your body take in the dust and the pollen. And then it'll be more recognized as something that's, you know, not foreign and not bad for you. And actually reduces your allergies. Which is why awesome. we're, this is why we're nice. saying about the, the when it comes to camel. And I'll also, I'm also going to tie in here another thing with cows and goat and whatever animal it is. We say even, so even this trickles down to produce. If you're eating from your area, your plants are drinking the water that you're drinking. Mm. The plants are having the dust that's in the air. The the, the, the pollens that are mixed with their, their pollen. So you're getting the immunity. So the closer the produce is from, you know, to where you're from, the healthier it is. The honey, is that is 100%. If the honey is from the area that you're in and you get ill, have honey from that area that you're in. Because you're going to get immune to whatever it is in our in our farms we have uh, jersey cows and we had the family the um, very very nice family from the from jersey <laughs> the martins mm-hmm. they visited us and they uh, not new jersey no no not jersey okay. jersey. Jersey, UK. jersey the uk <laughs> the first jersey <laughs> <laughs> and they, they they said you know the what we, we heard that you have jersey cows we'd love to see them and i like, come on Come over to the farm and uh, we'll show you the, 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 the Jersey cows. And the cows we have, we don't inject them with any uh, special medicines for cows. them to take care of the weather. We gradually got them used to it. And so you're talking about the food. Whenever they hear that bell for the food, <laughs> they, they know, uh, they know so, what, they're gonna get, what they're in for. And they come over range, and they have they food. Yeah. So these are Emirati Jersey cows. They're yeah. happier yes. than California cows. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they, so what do you do when the weather gets really strong give them shade <laughs> no, I mean, but they are yeah out. they're out yeah they're free-range cows they're they're they are they they have shade they have artificial shade and then they have palm tree shade so wow. yeah, which is very healthy for them 
and then they eat the shrubs that are under the palm trees. They also have ACs as well. I won't say that they don't. They All do right. have air conditioning. <laughs> the air conditioning is mainly for That's the babies. Why happy. Yeah. Yes, the, the, the air conditioning is for the little babies. And uh, we have uh, every now and then we'll have a, a, a camel on on the farm mixed in with the, the Jersey cows, and the camel also gets cow milk. Don't tell me they also have Wi-Fi and everything. There was a there was an what English do you mean company by that camel did. Get milk? I'll tell you. I'll tell well, you. That's so, yeah. <laughs> so we'll have a, the baby camel calf when it's old enough to get weaned from its mother. We bring them to the farm, and this is usually the camel is for meat. So if it's it's a camel that will eventually be uh, slaughtered for meat, we bring it to the the Jersey cows and let them play with it. You know, they live with the Jersey cows and drink from the Jersey cow milk. And the reason mm. being is ca- the cow milk allows it to, to become it has more it has more fat than a camel milk so this is what people don't know mm. camel milk not only does it not have lactose but also it's in less in fact fat and high in, in in water and something that i've tested on myself is when i when i was ill i stopped eating solids and i just went on a camel milk diet so 90% was not camel milk, maybe even higher. And every now and then I would have salads. And my body just consumed the fat that was in it. And mm. I lost weight. I was healthier. I felt so much more energetic. And every day I would be running. So I wasn't just doing that kind of diet. I went to work from 6.30 to almost 6 p.m. So 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. sometimes. And I jogged every day and I was totally healthy. So going back to the so the difference between camel milk and, and other milks. So the cow milk, we feed it to the camels for them to beef up and it gets, as I say, beef up. But it's a camel. And the camel doesn't complain, of course. He loves it. <laughs> yeah, so, that was a good pun. Beef up your camels. <laughs> yeah, beef up your camels. Yeah, without hormones. And, uh, yeah, without hormones. Yeah. Just natural, natural, uh, nice. natural food, natural uh, shelter. In the wintertime, we do, uh, we fence up. So we cover the fences with a, a fabric. That way it'll just hold the wind, but that's it. So they have their shades, they have their natural shade, they have the artificial shade, they have the, as I said, the, the air conditioning. When I say air conditioning, I'm not saying air and air conditioning like a house, because that would actually make the animal sick, just like it makes people sick. Mm-hmm. And if you notice when you walked into, the, into our residence, it's set at 23. Mm-hmm. All year round, we try to keep it at 23 because that's healthy. So if you step out from here, it's 23 and you go outside right now, it's probably 35. 40 maybe in the peak it's 50 there's there's a jump but it's not like going from 18 degrees mm. and you go out and your body's shocked so for the animals we have a water-cooled air conditioning for them that just blows blows cool air it's not uh, 18 degrees it's just cooler mm, just it, it helps circulate the air yeah. keeps it keeps it clean keeps it fresh and then uh, for the the lions so some of the animals we have there we have the uh, well, we have the chickens spread out through the farm we have the turkeys, turkeys. All oh. of these animals are essential. You can't have a farm without these animals because they eat the bugs. They eat yes. this. They kill the snakes. The chickens. What, what, what kind of snakes? Um, grass snakes. <laughs> <laughs> grass snakes. Grass snakes. Oh, we don't have, that. We don't have much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> never coming to this farm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you have grass. Uh, you have well, sand snakes. I'll say well, grass. Not that much grass here. You have constricting snakes. So harmless snakes to us. Some of them are poisonous. There are some poisonous snakes, but the poison is not lethal. But either way, the chickens take care of them. For real? The chickens will will stomp on them until uh, the snake is dead. And every now now and then we'll find a dead snake. And the farm or the workers will find it. And snakes uh, keep out. Yes, exactly. So the the chickens and the birds and the turkeys, they take care of them. Um, And they also take care of the soil. And they take care of the soil. Yeah. But 
Are they served in your restaurant? These these uh, the snakes? Birds? No, no, okay. <laughs> the ones they kill, yes, the roadkill. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the, the, so the of the birds that we uh, that we've served at restaurants and different collaborations, we've had uh, we've had pigeons, pigeons chicken. chicken. We've had some of the quails when they were there. As I said, we we got rid of I think forty five hundred. Not when I say get rid of it, sounds mm-hmm. a little bit more, but no, we just sold them. That's all. Oh. Uh, so we and sold I, majority of them, and we kept a few of the eggs in our incubators. There is a restaurant also in Dubai that sources quail eggs from yeah. the farm. Wow! So like for almost four hundred every every other day, four hundred eggs. Quail eggs. Quail eggs. Mm. Nice. So you said like from your farm, you are currently not working with big retails. No. No. So how can people buy produce from your farm? Through Instagram, WhatsApp. Yeah. <laughs> you, there's a Simplified. link on. Uh, there's a link on Instagram. Yeah, if you just like go to the nowadays, uh, it's it's the easiest way to uh, to But do you also then kind of look at going to having, especially when the weather is good currently, it's still all right. Go to farm markets like ripe or we, available. We do have something in the works that yeah. where we will sell the the produce in Dubai from a specific location. In, in a market style uh, mm. that is in the works. So that's something to look out for our, on, on our Instagram page. Yes. <laughs> and also the, the Organic Farms Instagram page. So that's a very important thing is to do that, you'd have to, you'd have, to have more manpower. And uh, mm-hmm. so we are all working. And when we're not working, we're at the farm or we're at the, or with the baby. So it's quite challenging, but it's not impossible. And uh, somebody actually, one, as, as my wife said, one of the businesses in Dubai said, you know what, I, I actually want to make a space for you to showcase your produce because they, mm-hmm. they saw our produce and they were like, wow, we, <laughs> we didn't know that this was grown, could be even grown in the UAE. Yeah. And uh, my cousin, uh, Mohammed uh, Ali Armathi, he's the one who's behind a, a lot of the trial and error in the farm. And uh, when we were doing an interview with, uh, we had one, uh, someone interviewing him, one of our marketing team, not our marketing team, and a marketing team was interviewing him. And they asked him a very simple question. They said, why do you grow these things? I've never, you know, some of the some of the, the produce we grow, there are, ex- yeah, I would say even exotic, something you'd find at a, a Michelin star chef uh, restaurant, like the carrots, the purple mm-hmm. carrots and the blue carrots and the, the yellow carrots. And the white carrots and different kinds of kales, and he said, "Because I, I can." That's a good answer. Yeah, it's, it's, because it's, I can. Yeah, because I can. And, and that's uh, a great answer. That means if I can, you can as well. Exactly. That's exactly. a great answer. Yeah. Exactly. I and, really and we, like. We're going to continue trying to experiment with yeah. what is grown here. And, and I like that. That you guys are experimenting. You do fail. You. But you move on and mm. up and... We've grown coffee in the desert. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, I got to hear about that. But I have to say, it was very successful uh-huh. until the, the the caretaker of, of, of them got stuck in, uh, in uh, overseas due to COVID. And, wow. and uh, the person that was taking, taking charge of watering the, the, these plants did not know how to do it and they burnt them oh. all. Because oh, no. if you water them at the wrong time in the sun, the plants actually burn. Because if you have water on a plant in midday, that sun just hmm. burns the trees. So we're gonna do it again. And so how, you're gonna do it again. Yes. All right. Because the way we got so. our our we were actually uh, we were given these uh, um, little um, arabica coffee seedlings and very hard to come by. <laughs> so uh, they were doing well, and the whole point was to show that it can be done. It can be done with normal water, 
just normal farm water that we have on our farm in shade it was doing well the thing is when it's a sapling it doesn't have strong enough roots to find mm. you know to find water for itself and that's why it didn't work but that doesn't mean we're not going to work it's not going to work again so we're planning on the next phase and we're going to plan on having a a backup plan so where it mm. always gets water at the right time to the roots mm. instead of being watered from above can, and, can you tell me about the soil and also mention earthworms. Ah, yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, like I hint, just, hint. just to extend that question, because that's exactly what I want to understand. How do you, obviously it's stream weather, it's, it's a desert weather. How do you keep the soil health? Do you rotate crops? What do you do to keep? Do you want to go? All right, so in, um, to go back to what we do when it comes to, we have an incubator area in the farm, not only for birds, but <laughs> even for plants. So we'll bring plants that we I mean, my wife and I, what we do when we travel the world, when we see a plant that is beneficial, not mm-hmm. only looks nice, but it is actually beneficial or medicinal, we'll take the seeds mm. and then we'll plant them. cutting your seeds. Yeah. <laughs> we've, <laughs> we've, we've gone through many in the airport. Yes. <laughs> kind of yeah. wondering. Do they ask questions? <laughs> uh, of course they ask questions. <laughs> is this something you smoke? <laughs> no, no, we, we tell them, no, it's just uh, for med- uh, you know, it's uh, a plant that we'd like to grow. And like, well, oh. I mean, th- there are quite a few stories as well of Hamid Ali, the, my yeah. husband's cousin, <laughs> traveling with... with <laughs> yeah, but uh, we've also, yeah, we've also brought in some very exotic, when I say exotic chickens, I mean, <laughs> yes, we have chickens that have pink eggs and chickens that have green eggs and chickens that have peach colored eggs and just different colors of eggs Wait, is that natural it's natural, natural. really <laughs> yes yes i mean on, on we have a farm in portugal as well and one of our chickens in portugal its mm-hmm. colors the egg color is pink and then some the word got out to the rest of the the people in the village and they're like that is such a rare chicken yeah we want that chicken and it was just it was so funny so yes these are naturally occurring can we get those photos for our website i mean yeah you guys these are organic multicolored chicken <laughs> yes. eggs they look I've pastel never seen that. brown and blue in all shades of pastel yeah <laughs> Nice, well, very nice. Uh, na- nature, nature is full of colors. And yes. And when when you talk about carrots, when you talk about all these different fruits and vegetables, you have these occurring uh, naturally and usually more ancient variations. Mm. Which nowadays, in, in fancy Selective, restaurant yeah. terms, they're heirloom, mm. heirloom tomatoes, yes. heirloom carrots. You know, it's a fancy way for restaurants to charge more usually. Right. <laughs> but if you think about they'll it, give you purple is, carrots and they'll charge you more. But it is heirloom. But it, like it, it, yes, it is. It is heirloom yeah. because it's one of the kind. It's created. Because we've taken care of it exactly. from generation to generation. Yes, like our pigeons. Uh, purple cauliflower on the farm. Yes. There's yellow cauliflower. And kales, um, different and, colors. Uh, yeah, there's different color kales. The tomatoes, black Is, tomatoes. Do you have kales growing outside those of your kales? I'll tell you a little bit about those. Yeah, those are actually colored greens. <laughs> yeah. Okay, those are colored <laughs> greens. But going back to your question about the soil. So other than the incubator, where we test soil, we test water on plants. We dig huge pits. So you're talking about six meters deep. I can't remember how wide it was. Huge, huge. Big pits, big, wide, long, and then we fill it full of organic produce. Because if you look at the UAE, United United Arab Emirates, and you look at Arabia in general from an, a helicopter's view, you see that there was clear signs of rivers going through this area, which means that there was mm-hmm. plants and trees and water. What happened is obviously, I would say, definitely deforestation mm-hmm. back then, which has caused that. 
Mm. Uh, I remember reading uh, um, uh, in one of the museums that the area, what what caused it was during the um, one of the earlier ages where people were cutting down the trees to use the trees as uh, um, ships and houses and burning. And so you, the more trees you had, the less trees you had, the more you, you, you were exposing the earth to, to dryness. Right. Soil degradation. Soil degradation. Soil degradation. Soil degradation. I, mean, I live here, Saudi Arabia. I do not know where exactly I read, but Saudi Arabia was green forest once upon a time. Yes. Here, here as well. Here we could show you some parts yeah. where the forests still remain. Some of the old trees of, of, of the United Emirates, Arab Emirates. There's a whole belt of trees that goes from between Abu Dhabi and Dubai to Sharjah. There, those trees find, are still there. And also you can find fossilized trees yes. uh, all over the, the deserts. The, yes, the, you the can Gulf find countries. them. And so going back to that is once the, the, it's exposed for too long, you lose the nutrients in the soil. Mm-hmm. So to, to reintroduce the nutrients, we make those huge pits and we, f- we fill it with organic wastes mm. and all the waste from the farm. Anything that's organic is put in there only organic, of course, nothing, no plastics. And, and, and we sift through it to make sure there's no plastics. And sometimes somebody might throw it in, not thinking, mm-hmm. you know, they might think, oh, this bag is okay. It'll break down. No, it won't break down. And even if it does, we don't want that in there. Right. So we, we reintroduce organic waste, foods mm. and stuff, and then we cover it. And then on top of that, we plant a field of, it could be alfalfa, it could be any other kind of crop. Okay, cover crops. Yes. That organic waste that's under mm-hmm. the ground starts to to break down and then you start to have earthworms. Yes. And if you have no earthworms, you, your soil is going to be very difficult. It's not going to have all the nutrients. It won't have, it, it, it won't have the gaps that it needs inside to, to breathe. Can you kind of introduce it from outside? Yes, we do. We one of my cousins, Saeed Ahmed al also. He's the uh, he's actually the official face of the farm, we say. And uh, he's grown his own earthworms. So he's, through trial and error, black gold. he calls them black yes. gold. So he, he actually sells his earthworms uh, on, online as well. Oh, to he farms does? And to, <laughs> from, to, to farms. from where? From his, his website. So uh, I mean, where is he based? Oh, from, he's actually based in uh, Khalifa City. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so he has his earthworm farm. And yes, you can re- you can introduce earthworms into the I into the soil. I would love to buy some earthworms. <laughs> yeah. I've been trying to. I mean, this is, is I have experimented many times because in my house uh, I want my back garden to be completely green, mm. vegetable patch. But every time something grows, it doesn't taste doesn't, as no. it should taste. Mm. So yeah, I've been I've been thinking about so maybe I should yeah. get a touch. Yeah, we'll, we'll hook you up with some worms. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> earthworms, yes. that is, of course. And uh, so that's one of the ways we we keep the 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 grounds healthy. Another way is you have all of this healthy and free high nutrient fertilizer from our animals, mm-hmm. from the cows. We have the the, the manure. And the goats, we have goats on the farm, different kinds of goats. Sheeps Sheep, and goats and lambs. Wow. And all of their nutrients, we give it back to the ground. So that's what I was saying in the beginning. Organic, an organic farm sounds nice. But when it's an organic farm that is being sustained from itself, that is really an organic farm. Because mm-hmm. everything is natural. There's no chemicals. And as we were talking about as well, zero waste and kind of yes. making it go full mm-hmm. circle and full cycle. A lot of different countries and different systems they usually import feed to give to livestock 
And in the UAE, there's a huge history of growing alfalfa to give to the livestock, which is, you know, locally grown. And that's something as a resource that's easily grown here as well. And that's fed to, you know, you have the, the alfalfa that's grown, which, you know, uh, has, has the beautiful nutrients in it. Uh, it gets fed to the livestock. They usually only eat the, or no, it gets fed to the chickens that eat the leaves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the stalks get fed to the livestock. You know, every little bit is has used. a process. Mm. So it's a circular economy yeah. and yes. zero waste. Yeah. Yes. And another thing is, yeah. you know, some farms, we were actually horrified during uh, the COVID era. We watched programs of where they were just dumping their potatoes because they said nobody buys them. And just dump them. And what we do... Uh, yeah. Not locally, internationally. Yeah, internationally. Right. <laughs> what we do is we, whenever, first of all, we plant what we need. And what we expect, and whatever's extra, which is uh, so there'll always be extra, we feed the our animals, yes. so they don't complain. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they get the best either way, and, uh, and then we also have the we mash up a lot of the food for the chickens. So we'll take the salads, even when we have a, 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 a feast or a, a gathering, yeah, if, if we, we take the food the and the vegetables and stuff, ve- you know, the, the greens, mash it up, give it to the animals, the chickens. Oh, they love it. They love it. Throw in a, a few excellent. onions and garlic and they're just happy. During the expo, you had a lift mm. restaurant. Yes. So what's the plan now? Uh, do you have a restaurant? Are you working with some other restaurant or are you... Uh, at the moment, for the near future, what we're doing is collaborating with different restaurants and doing more pop-ups and collaborations. Also, we have the services that we provide, which have everything to do with, with agriculture, education, and also the F&B. So at the moment, we're focusing on those services. Uh, we do have a few projects long-term in the works, potentially for restaurants, but those are a bit more uh, long-term. And it's also just because what we want to achieve when we open a restaurant, we don't want a typical cookie cutter, you know, just a what every other restaurant that you can find here yeah. in the UAE. We want something that's going to be different. We want something that's going to be sustainable, that's going to be full cycle, full circle. Uh, we want something that's going to be locally sourced as much as possible. So all of these aspects together obviously do take a bit more research and development. They, they take a bit more time to put together. So I think in our latest collaboration, we've been able to prove that you can have a locally sourced menu that's even uh, you could say fine dining yes we had a hmm. we had a we, very good collaboration we had a collaboration with 21 grams in yes. dubai a very highly acclaimed uh, awarded restaurant and we did a uh, locally sourced iftar hmm. and it was everything from the farm yes. and it oh, was nice. absolutely delicious and um, it's amazing what you can do with with the produce that hmm. that is available here and that was a seven course a seven course uh, menu eight course was eight. eight so everything wow. from the from the uh, appetizers all the way to mm. the desserts were from from and it was, our farm uh, zero waste as well nice. we we Very used nice. uh, we used the bones from the meat that was served and made Broth. in stock and 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 sauces and the cutoffs from the vegetables that weren't used also went into you know the sauces and everything it's, it was it's a success we, i would say so that, and that was the point we, we wanted to we yeah, yeah we wanted to put across that it can be done mm. what advice do you have to 
others? Uh, do you advise that others start? What are you doing? Well, if anybody would like advice, they can come to us and then we can definitely uh, give it to them yeah, <laughs> as a service. You've, you've experimented a lot, you've yes. failed, you've well, succeeded, and you've worked hard. That's, so. that's what we think is, is we believe that, you know, those who don't try, you, you need to try and you need to see failure sometimes as a positive. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Because failure means that you're trying and exactly. you're and you're learning. Mm-hmm. Inshallah, you're learning. Because uh, if you're not learning, then then you're uh, <laughs> doing something wrong. But but you need it. You need to learn from these failures. And we are doing a lot of trial and error on the farm. A word yeah. of ad- a simple yes. word of advice. I'll, I'll link into a link it to a story of huh. of when I was a child, and this was a common practice in a, in, in, in in almost old families even even in in other countries or usually people who are self-made when i was a child i remember my uncle uh, abdurrahman al-hibashi ramethi he's also was a known person here <laughs> and he would catch me when you know when i would be running around playing he'll just he'll say hey come down come down he said what did you do i said and i, and I was like what do you mean what did i do i did many things he said, no no pick one thing i said ah oh, well i was playing with a bicycle he said okay how did it go i said it's okay but i fell a few times he said how can you do it better I said, well, I practice and make sure I don't do it. I don't fall. And if I fall, I get up and go again. He's like, okay. I said, okay. Phew. I got away from that one. And then the next day, he'll, he'll remember. He'll call me. So how did it go? Did you do it? Were you better today than you were yesterday? And that's how it was. A common practice among the, our, our elders that would always do that. Hmm. So what did you learn today? How can you do it better tomorrow? So to answer your question, there's nothing that hasn't already been done. So if you want to do something, see what's already been done, see if it's practical, start, or even improve it. It's not like you're creating something out of thin air. It's already there. The farming is already there. Your patch of, of property is already there. You have a balcony. You have a, a window that you could put little plants and shrubs on it. You can start. It's just taking the effort and starting. And starting in a smart way, as they say, you know, work smart and not hard. And that's a very true true saying. I mean, as you said, quoting me, uh, is that the trial and error... Quoting myself. Quoting myself. <laughs> is out of trial and error, yes, there was a lot, a lot of money and resources spent, but it's not wasted. It was invested. Right. But for right. somebody yeah. else to do the same, I'd say, please come over to the farm. Mm-hmm. See what you have in mind. See how it's done. I mean, in our farm, we've done, we've gone from making our own hybrid crops and in a natural way of it to even having hybrid livestock that could withstand the uh, you know crossbreeding that could withstand the temperatures. Mm. And for I'll give you an example. Don't do that with Jersey cows and local Arabian cows. It doesn't <laughs> work. <laughs> I mean, it works, but it's not what you'd expect because the Arab- the Arabian cow looks almost like an, a Jersey cow. But it's smaller in size and it can withstand the heat. But it's not practical from a, um, it just doesn't make sense. It just, just doesn't work. So have some Jersey cows, get them used to the weather and you'll be just fine. Or come to the farm. <laughs> but I think I think one, one thing that my husband just touched on as well is, is that keeping information to yourself mm-hmm. and not sharing it is, is probably one of the greediest things that you can do. And... I think knowledge and, and the, all these trial and errors and all this research that people who care about a topic, you need to share it and you need to make sure that everybody starts these initiatives and everybody yes. starts practicing these, these type of practices because it's not smart as, as, uh, as a person with morals to start doing these uh, practices and just keeping it for mm-hmm. yourself. 
So it is very important to make sure that everybody has has the the, the information available and and can start doing these practices. Wonderful. For are, are there any communities over here for farmers that people can join that you are a part of where people share, you know, what knowledge they've gained from their trials that would help. We we ha- we have started that. So for example, from the success of, of what we've been doing a lot of family members and that's how it usually starts it starts either with your neighbors and then your family word that's a word of mouth and they've come to us and say hey i would like to see what you've done and i would like you to do do the same replicate it in in our farm like okay fine so different areas in the uae have those family members and friends have come and they said okay we would like to do that some of them have gone and done it and done even better than what we've done because they took what we've done and improved it which is the whole point yeah but in our line of farms as Jessica was saying, we wish that more people would carry on. If somebody doesn't want to open their eyes, they will never see. But that brings to my next question. So in terms of education, there's so much you know, which is unten- intangible, because that comes, it is in your blood, so to speak, to put, to put it simply, that it just comes from generation handed over by your forefathers. Now in today's UAE, the local children, how do you bring that knowledge to them? Are you looking to start some sort of educational programs with, with schools and colleges? Yes. Oh, because <laughs> yes. I'm sure there are people who it's are. It's a very big yes. <laughs> yes, we have, a, we have a big plot in the, in the farm that we were discussing on how, how to build it in an in a eco-friendly way that it's a living while they're learning everything around them is actually living so the the columns that are there i don't want to go into all the details it's simply done but it's it's practical and it's while they're learning they can see they can pick something they can eat it they can ask so what education is is definitely a, a big part of what we want to do we have actually already done a collaboration with new york university actually oh um yes. yeah Excellent. We, uh, they had a green week yes. and for the start of their green week we collaborated with a company called the knot that does kind of uh, local heritage tours and uh, we had a group of, of students come to the farm and and we talked to them about you know farming in the desert and and it was actually quite interesting because a lot of the students who joined, who signed up for this, said that they they had seen farming in other countries and they were curious about yeah. seeing it here, how it's done here. And uh, they were blown away by, by what can be done here and, and the quality as well. Hmm. But we do believe that educating, I, I would say, it's it starts from as early as possible. Yes. So it's just cool that your husband is talking about Jessica. What age is that? Would you like to join it? I would say, I would I, say I would I would Philip, not go over I love, it. I love Philip to join. No, so. Not this Philip. My son's name is also Philip. He's five years old. So, yeah, that's a good... Because it's, it's, it's so great to be in a school where you're in touch with nature. Yes. Oh, what had, else can you ask? Myself as a child, I've been in the farm since a very... Since, I, since before I could even walk. If it was on the farms here in the UAE or even on our farm in Portugal, we've always been in the farms learning and and touching and in touch with nature (laughs) and uh, pricked by nature sometimes, (laughs) prickly weeds here and there. On an educational level, I think the best age would, I would say, would be to go with four 
maybe even three. But it doesn't mean people can't bring smaller children. That's fine. We've had younger children on the farm. But the thing then then you have to look into liability and what will mm-hmm. the child learn. So you want the child to be able to learn, yeah. to be able to appreciate what they're learning. So starting at three and uh, I, until I would 99? Love, yeah, I would love to have them at three because that's an age where they're like, you know, they, they want to touch and eat everything. And if everything around them is edible and healthy, that's fine. But uh, yeah, I would say maybe three, five. We'll see. So this is a project that's upcoming or is it already? This is upcoming. No, upcoming. no. The, 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 the plot is already set out, mm-hmm. but we haven't started the groundwork yet. So is, is sustainable farming profitable? I know it takes a lot of effort and a different kind of mindset, but is it also profitable? It can be profitable. It's how you manage it. Every So there's, there's, an, there's an old saying, anything and everything that's mismanaged fails, whether it was a relationship, a business, or or a farm so if it's mismanaged it will fail because you'll have the money just pouring out of every scene there's there's a there's a very good example in the holy quran mentioned about the best of person to hire the best of person to hire is the person that is strong and honest because you can have somebody that's strong in what they do but if they're not honest it's like having a hole in your pocket the money comes in but it goes out you don't know where it's going and if you have somebody that's honest but not strong at what they do they're good but they're not doing anything there's no profit coming in so to answer your question yes it can be sustainable and it can be profitable do your research know what's locally grown there are so many weeds that grow naturally in the desert that are equivalent to for example rocket rocket can grow here easily and it's a very healthy crop but there is also an an equivalent that grows and just pour water on the sand it will grow here in the desert and it looks like rocket it looks like wild rocket and it is rocket <laughs> so yes it can be profitable if you know what you're growing what is the end result you want to do what kind of farm what do you want to farm in general if it's livestock you need to have a mix of these things and start in a basic way and learn from others if you go into the sea without knowing how to swim you might swim and you also might drown so to answer your question yes it is profitable see what others are doing and build off of it some important crops that i will say and i think anybody who has a plot of land i encourage them to plant are lentils they produce a lot of of crop and i hear that it's very healthy very healthy the soil yes so yeah you're asking about plants that uh, how to um, re-energize the soil yes we do plant some crops and then and then uh, cover them again that way, it, it, mm-hmm. it, it leaves that nutrient back into the soil. So that's yeah. also like how they used to do in old days. There is harvest time. Once it's harvested and then it's few months of summer, they would put lentils and stuff like that. Yes. It probably would not give the same yield as the, the, their regular crop would. But what happens at the end of it is they just level it off, yes. put soil, and then the soil is ready for Yes, yes. So in, in Portugal, I'll give you a good example of, of that. In Portugal, Portugal, they grow eucalyptus for tissues, mm-hmm. so, tissues and paper. The problem with that is eucalyptus, it consumes the soil. So within 10 years, the soil is, yes. is, is lifeless, you could say. To give life back to soil, is you plant termus. We call it termus. Uh, it's a kind of bean. I can't remember its name in English. And when you plant this and you you till it, you you, you put it back into the ground and you you cover it, it actually puts nutrients back into the ground. So you can plant again eucalyptus. Hmm. <laughs> till it eats up again. So every plant, if it if it if it was just a eucalyptus tree growing for ten and fifty years and nobody cut it down, it would be fine because it's taking nutrients and giving as well when it's just grown to be cut 
then it becomes a problem. It's a great, great story. A lot of good luck and um, success to both of you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you, Philip. Yeah, thank I you. love thank hearing you. your stories. I mean, I come also from a huge family and I love listening to all these stories from our forefathers, grandfathers. So, yeah, thank you so much for honoring us because we don't know that much about UAE's history. So, yeah, that was beautiful. Thank You're most you. welcome. You're most welcome. And it was, uh, it was a pleasure and honor having you here as well as our guests mm-hmm. and also at the farm. Yes, we look yes. forward to it. Yes, you're definitely are inviting us. Yes, I am. <laughs> of course, the invitation is open. It's because we're proud of it. That's why you know we're very proud you, of what's been yes, done. Then we'd like to be. people to see what's been done and yeah, uh, you should be and to taste what we can do yes. <laughs> with our food. Thank and you that's... so much for tuning into this episode. Y'all come back now. You here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye now. Thank bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.